There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of June 2009. For newcomers to the show, and people, thank goodness, are always coming in all the time, more and more ages, young ages, as they start to ask the right questions, I also advise them to go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, but as you know, I've had in the recent past troubles with them, so people should go into that site regardless Look at all the other sites I have where you can download from. And it's a good idea that different people pick their favorite sites to download from. That spreads the bandwidth, gives them all less uh, of a chance to come back at me and say uh, there's too many people coming through one system. Because all kinds of games are afoot at the moment. And one day the Yahoo sites no doubt will be yanked again. This is the second time it's happened. So, as I say, here's the other sites anyway, cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. That's a very reliable site. It has all the audios of my previous talks on it. Cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. And also remember that Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel.eu, the European site, also has all of these audios to download. And it also has transcripts you can download for print up. Some people do a lot of hard work interpreting these these particular talks for different languages and you can print them up and pass them around to your friends. Remember you are brought to me by yourselves basically because I'm probably the only person out there that doesn't uh, do the deals with uh, the advertisers because uh, it gives me more free range to talk about different subjects, etc. Therefore, I rely upon you for support, so you can always donate to me. It's on the site How to Do It, or you can buy that for which I have for sale on the site as well. You can purchase the books I've written and so on. That keeps me going. It's expensive, and I'm expanding into more sites because I know more are going to get pulled in the future. So different servers and spreading the, the stuff is a good idea for the future. Those who simply get the CDs passed around to them, burned, and stay away from computers who are wise, because it's a limited venture anyway until they pull the reins in. You can write to Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estere, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P as in Peter. 3 as, as in number 3 E as in Elizabeth the number 4 N as in Nora the number 1 P3E4N1 and checks from the US and Canada are fine they both get cashed in the banks here because they're all owned by the same people we're really in a rush as we go into this uh, whole new pre-designed global new world order in the times of crisis, the century of change, 2001 kicked it off, and we're getting rapid changes one after another, 
we are, as Plato has said, the most adaptable species on the planet, so we go through one crisis after another and forget the last one. We forget that our lives have changed forever since September 2001. That's what we're told by the big boys themselves. The day that it happened, life would never be the same again. Followed by various scenarios for upcoming disasters, climate change scenarios, uh, terrorism everywhere scenarios, uh, no one is safe scenarios, we all must be ID'd, watched, monitored, etc. Total information network, yada, 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 yada. And also we we're seeing really through it all the end of any idea of d democracy. Because as I've gone through the Club of Rome's talks, I've read them to you on the air, and the other big organizations and the United Nations have said democracy is simply too cumbersome to get anything done. You're learning to be ruled. I'll be back with more after this break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. The matrix is the system in which you live. It's your reality that's projected into you from your birth to your death, and most people never, ever figure it out. They go through their entire lives thinking that all the opinions they have are true because everyone else shares them, because you're all getting the same programming at the same time on a daily basis. And they literally die never, ever knowing that everything happened and that happened in their life, every major event was planned that way long before they were born. And I was mentioning that, that since 2001 we've had crisis after crisis. Remember what they said, I think it was McCain or, or Rumsfeld that said it. They said things will never be the same again. And they meant it because they'd already been teaching for 40 years in academia, uh, especially the Ivy League colleges, etc., that the 21st century was a century of change and they explained to each other what the change was. They don't explain it to the public. It's a change from a democratic type of system and input from the people where you couldn't just boss them around and implement plans and so on without uh, the acceptance of the public or input from the public. The new system is authoritarian completely authoritarian and if you look at the history of the United Nations it's fantastic to see that the do you understand that everyone who works as a bureaucrat at the UN are just like the bureaucrats in the feds they're intergenerational families they actually have their own schools for their children at the United Nations where they train their own offspring to be up-and-coming bureaucrats and they're taught that the world that they will inhabit and the world that they will be in authority over is not a democratic one. They dictate down to the public and expect you to obey and if you won't, they'll use force. That's what it was set up to do because there are two definitions of freedom. If you go to Isaiah Berlin uh, who also was the mentor of Tony Blair and many other Fabian socialists to understand what they mean by that the second type of, of uh, freedom, as they call it, there's negative and positive. The second type is basically where the whole world comes together, works for a plan, a common purpose, a term first given out by H.G. Wells a long time ago. And you've all heard of common purpose uh, associations in Britain running the country, infiltrating everything and working for the big foundations. Well under a common purpose in a war scenario we all allow ourselves to work towards some definite what we think 
as a common purpose, an ending that we all benefit. It's always a lie, by the way. H.G. Uh, Wells, again, the propagandist for the big boys, coined the term the war to end all wars for World War I, when they had no intention, or uh, he knew darn well what his, his real purpose was to be. They were kept in this matrix, and since 2001 we've had the terrorism nonsense, and it changed from Muslims to blue-eyed blonde people to your grandmother. Everyone is a possible terrorist now, and you have no rights privacy whatsoever, and we're being dictated to by everybody with a uniform. But we also are getting ready for natural disasters, and at the same time global warming and CO2, and our whole way of life has to change for that too. So there's a war on that, and that came for the Club of Rome in the 70s, and now put it into effect. And and then after that, you have the coming plagues. Oh my God, there's plagues as well as at the same time. My goodness. So within a few years, we've had crisis after crisis. We've been pillaged and raped by the bankers who got well rewarded for it again. That was another one too. I forgot that one. Uh, you just can't keep up with every crisis. It suddenly came one after another because we're on a roll. And I said years ago, when they get us to the stage of crisis after crisis, they were stampeding. They can guide us so easily. All you need is a couple of guys in their front on, on the horses and you can steer the steers that's what they call steers you steer them in the direction you want to go they have no idea that this panicking and, and going where they're pointed to go that's what's being used today Pavlovian brutality that's what it is easy now I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago or actually months ago about the study that came out where I think it was a Japanese um, fella scientist had uh, successfully, uh, he and a big, big team working for the Center for Disease Control, successfully created a killer flu by taking three of the genes that, that altered the old, old flu in World War I into the Spanish flu, the three particular genes, and combined it with a modern strain just to see what would happen. And then, of course, we have the Baxter Laboratory. I read that in the air a few weeks ago where they inadvertently, supposedly, in this maximum high security place where you can't move without signing forms and going through stages etc just inadvertently sent all these vials out of contaminated flu vaccine to different places where they combined the human flu with I think it was the avian flu the killer one they've done the very thing supposed to be all terrified of and then I read the article uh, a week or so ago where one of the top guys for the United Nations admitted that this so-called swine flu had to have come from a laboratory because you can tell by the particle types of genes etc that's in it and I'm going to go back to an article I've read ages ago just to show you what goes on and this is from uh, it's called CIDRAP CIDRAP that's to do with the Center for Disease Control it says here by Robert Ruse who's a news editor January the 14th, 2004. One of the worst fears of infectious disease experts is that the H5N1, that's the bird one, avian influenza virus now circling parts of Asia will combine with a human-adapted flu virus to create a deadly new flu virus that could spread around the world. Right, 2004, January 14th, remember. It could happen, blah, blah, blah. Then they give you the lead-up, which is supposed to set it in your mind. And then it says, now, rather than waiting to see if nature spawns such a hybrid, U.S. scientists are planning to try to breed one themselves in the name of preparedness. 
The Center for Disease Control and Prevention will soon launch experiments designed to combine the H5N1 virus and human flu viruses and then see how the resulting hybrids affect animals. The goal is to assess the chances that such a reassortant virus will emerge and how dangerous it might be. So they can make these things so darned easily, can't they? Incredibly easily, very quickly too. And there are subsequent reports which I've read on the air confirming they've already done it. They've done it. They even tell you how they do it. There's two techniques of different use, yada, yada, yada. And so there's nothing that they cannot make. However, they just can't get, uh, with any certainty, any antidote to tell us, which is a lie. You see, what I'm reading here is bio-warfare. Everything in the CDC and all these centers are to do with bio-warfare. It's disease control, not eradication, control. When you make them, you're in control of them. But if you look at United Nations, treaties have signed with all the countries for 50-odd years or more. They do agree that for every step of viral mutation that they create in the lab, they must have a 100% working antidote to it. Understand what antidote means? That means they have the antidote to everything that's created. Yet the rest of the regular media gives you the problem. They're desperately trying to find an antidote to this, this pig flu that's suddenly going to mutate in the fall. It'll be touch and go if they can do it. It's utter rubbish. We are played in the matrix. Played in the matrix and given cartoons for major media. Because the truth is always along with it in reports like this, you see. And I've read an article before from the Port and Downs Biowarfare Establishment in Britain, where the the porter went in, spent a day with these guys, or a couple of days, and listened to them talk at the breakfast table about all the ethnic-specific viruses they'd created, where they could target any gene type and kill them all off. They had viruses so advanced they could release them and they'd know that multiply so many millions of times and then stop, just like that, like a clock. That's how far ahead they are in creating this stuff. Nothing should be any surprise to us because it all ties in, doesn't it, with the population reduction, eugenics, etc. There's not a, even the regular cartoon media out there uh, not talking and giving a lot of time to the Optimum Population Trust and other organizations, non-governmental organizations that work with the United Nations and governments. We don't vote them in. Who are demanding we drastically reduce population. We mandatorily bring in sterilization controls, etc., etc. These guys wrote this agenda over a hundred years ago. And when you read through... H.G. Wells and the other propagandists for the same agenda, they have never changed their tune on any part of their agenda. Never. They never back off. And they never change it. So when they say something, you can believe them. They'll do it. Here's old thinker news. December 19th, 2007. Coercive population control from the mouth of Frank Notstein. Very important person, Frank Notstein. This guy worked for the League of Nations because their World Health Organization also had a mandate for depopulation. And then it became the United Nations and the same Doctor Who, WHO, went into action. 
and people think they're there to help them their mandate is depopulation these guys that want to give you injections think about why would the wolf dressed up like little red riding hoods want to give you an injection to make you healthy when its mandate is to depopulate and sterilize you read their histories this is by Daniel Taylor 2007 Frank Notstein 1902 to 1983 was one of the most influential population control activists and demographers of the 20th century his work led to the establishment of demography as an academic discipline he didn't start it by the way Lord Halford did he worked as the first director of the population division of the United Nations the population division of the United Nations for the harder thinking was instrumental in the founding of John D. Rockefeller's Population Council who he also worked with in 1952 and was director of population research at Princeton University in a paper written by Notstein in 1969 titled The Problem of Population Control he outlines a strategy of quickening the pace of depopulation and that's what I'm going to go into after the following messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, trying to show people the histories of the big organizations that work with governments, dictate to governments, and are unelected by any of the people in any country. That's always been the way of it in reality. Frank Notstein, a real winner, a man with a mission to drastically reduce the population, a man who praised, of course, China's population reduction policies, called a moral state and all the rest of the rest of the world to follow, worked with the Rockefeller Foundation and other big foundations all dealing with bringing the population down by all means possible. It says here in a paper written by Notstein in 1969 titled The Problem of Population Control, he outlines a strategy of quickening the pace of depopulation. He admits that economic modernization would bring the birth date rate down automatically. It's true enough when people, and Charles Galton Darwin went into that in great detail, if we can give people more material goods, they'll postpone marriage, put it off altogether, have fewer children, and go for the material benefits instead. However, Notstein goes on to state that more drastic measures must be taken because, in his opinion, it's really his boss's opinion, this method would not be fast enough. Coercion means force, and the institution of a totalitarian regime are Notstein's solutions totalitarian regime. That's why they love and set up modern-day China. This is what he said. The need for an early reduction of the birth rate is acute. Birth rates in the past have fallen more rapidly in the context of modernization and social economic change, but there is nothing in the European experience to suggest we must rely solely on gradual and automatic changes in society. One often meets the glib generalization, particularly in the underdeveloped countries, that it's only necessary to concentrate on social and economic modernization, since it's well known that we can rely on these processes to bring the birth rate down automatically. The argument neglects the time span required for such an adjustment. Even if we could be assured of rapid social and economic development, the lag 
in transition between the reduction of death rates and the reduction of birth rates poses enormous problems of population growth. He continues with this. Even if successful, voluntary family planning programs cannot be expected to resolve the world population dilemma. These guys are convinced there is one. Don't ever jump into that. Think and do your studies to see if there even is one. Because all their studies from the United Nations, the same ones that are pushing this crap, are the same people that tell you every year that the populations in Europe have been falling for about 50 years. And that's the excuse they use for bringing in massive immigration. So you can't please them by not having children. It's not enough. And they bring in uh, the immigrants, according to Maggie Thatcher and others, because there's not enough people getting born in these countries to pay off their debts. That's, that's the excuse they give for mass immigration. Even in the more developed countries, this guy says here, and notably in the United States, surveys show couples desiring more children than are necessarily for a replacement. Thus, we cannot rely on the self-interested choices of individual couples to meet society's needs. The only acceptable goal is zero rate, zero rate of growth, because any rate of growth continued long enough leads to astronomical figures. Given existing preferences in family size, governments must go beyond voluntary family planning. To achieve zero rate of population growth, governments will have to do more than cajole they'll have to coerce. Now, I've already read the articles recently where it's in the big papers in Europe and Britain especially, they're demanding this. These big organizations are demanding, and they're all on the boards, they're appointed to the boards of government. They're demanding that the, the government gets in and literally decides who should have children, who will not, and who should be sterilized. These guys have never changed their techniques or their tactics because way back to the late 1800s, and even beyond before, when, when, when Malthus first came out, with, he was the first propagandist for, what, for the big bankers because they run on numbers and populations and debt and long-term interest and who pays off, etc. That's what it was for. This beautiful winner here, this Miss Mr. Notstein, the logical target for legal and institutional pressures is the family pressures to postpone marriage economic pressures and inducements for married women to work outside the home. Now, this, this is written a long time ago. They've done it all, right? Pressures to postpone marriages, that, that's done everywhere. Economic pressures and inducements for married women to work outside the home, that was done a long time ago. Provision of free abor- abortions for all women requesting them. Listen to this part. Downgrading of familial roles, that's the dad they're talking about, really, in comparison with extra-familial roles, and restriction of housing and consumer goods. Such institutions, uh, changes, institutional changes supply motivation for family limitation and the provision of free abortions affords a means. The implications of such major institutional changes go far beyond population control. The family is the basic social unit of society and its major institution for the socialization of the children. To impose more drastic changes on a large scale implies many risks, not least to the regime, the regime that undertakes them. The price for this type of population control may well be the institution of a totalitarian regime. So he's saying here that have to go to war completely on the family and, and downgrade family roles. Matt, the man now is out of the picture, according to all the cartoons and comedies and so on. He's an idiot. His class is an idiot. And entertainment has been for oh, 30 odd years now. Now these links I'll put up on my website at the end of the show. I've also got a PDF 
but of course, uh, Goldstein, Goldstein. I think that's who Orwell was thinking of this guy, Goldstein. Uh, a PDF of Goldstein's work, and you can see how detailed and in depth. And look at all the organisations that are now in charge of our system. If we want to go back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, down through the years, you watch all these organizations at the bottom on TV demonstrate my body, my choice, etc., Never knowing that it's a much, much bigger agenda, and the ones at the top truly don't keep a damn about you or your body. They get you to, to demand what they want, but they're always demanding it for a different purpose, and you'll never ever understand that because you never look into it. They, they've got a, an organization out there for everybody to join. And believe you me, like the Pied Piper, you don't know where it's really going to take you. You'll think you know, but you'll always be wrong. This is a massive agenda. I mentioned before how the whole culture creation industry is always programming you to the next step and the next step and the next step and the people absorb it. They come to conclusions which become opinions but they've never reasoned anything through for them. It's all done through fiction. And I've mentioned too, why would every department in the Western world, every government have a department of culture where they dish out millions of dollars every year to authors, movie makers and so on to write stuff and stories and to wrap certain particular articles or topics into the story. They pay them to do this. Your governments pay them to do it. And, it, and they, they only take grant if they claim they're for radical, radical reform. Radical. Your government demands that. Think about that. Think about it. Here's one reporter here who's caught on to some of this. Took him a while, mind you. Mail Online. This is from the 2nd of June, 2009. Why do my son's books tell him all men are useless? By William Leith. Sitting on, sitting on the sofa with my four-year-old son, Billy, I was reading aloud to him from a book, Anthony Brown, by Anthony Brown. He's our favorite male children's author. We love reading together. For one thing, it's about bonding. My son asked me about the world... And I tried to explain it to him. It's a classic moment between father and son. This particular book is called Gorilla. It's about a girl called Hannah who's obsessed with gorillas and whose father takes no notice of her. There he is, the awful man, introduced on page two, sitting at the breakfast table, heading behind his newspaper. His daughter wants to talk to him, but he's not interested. He's there physically at the table, but in all other respects, he's absent. He didn't have time for anything, writes the author, Brown. On the next page, the father says, Not now, I'm busy, maybe tomorrow. And as I read this out to my son, he looked puzzled, and it says, he asks, Why? Gazing up towards me for an answer, I don't know, I said. Later I considered my son's question in more detail, and I realized that it wasn't just some dads, it was lots of dads. Why? Why is Dad in Zoo, another book by Brown, about a family trip to the zoo, such an idiot. Why is the father such an... Not just an idiot, but a grumpy, overweight idiot who tries to make jokes, but is never funny. And what's more, he's always on the verge of running things for everybody else. 
He's a greedy slob, just like Homer Simpson. He's more childish than his children, even though he has hair sprouting from his ears. And then there's a dad in Into the Forest, another book by this author. This one's about a dad who goes missing. He's clearly a weakling. He walks out of the family home and goes to stay with his mum. A recent academic study confirmed that men, particularly fathers, are underrepresented in almost all children's books. And when they do appear, like the fathers in Gorilla and Zoo, they're often withdrawn or obsessed with themselves or just utterly ineffectual. Take our favorite female author, Julia Donaldson. I started with her most famous book, The Gruffalo. The Gruffalo is male, and he is also a dad. His main characteristic is that he's an idiot, a complete fool, the butt of the book's jokes. He's outsmarted by a mouse. Actually, the mouse outsmarts various other, other animals too. A fox, an owl, and a snake. They're all male. But we never get to know if the mouse is male or female. The mouse is just a mouse. Again, I thought of my son's questions. Why? Why are so many male characters in books such idiots? I don't think Julia Donaldson is a male basher, but still a, a gentle thread of male idiocy runs through her books. Two of her favorites are The Snail and the Whale and Tiddler. Both are about adventurous young creatures. The snail travels the world on the back of a whale and is smart and resourceful at every point. Tiddler, a little fish, also has adventures, but this fish is a bit of a dreamer and eventually gets caught up in a trawler net. Tiddler is lucky to escape, whereas the snail calls the shots and ends up saving the whale's life. And guess what? The snail is female, and Tiddler, of course, is a guy. As a penny dropped, I looked at all the other books I've been reading to my son. There's The Selfish Crocodile by Faustin Charles and Michael Terry. It's about a male crocodile who wants everything for himself, thereby ruining the lives of all the other animals in the jungle. And then there's Giraffes Can't Dance, in which a giraffe called Gerald tries to dance and looks like a total fool, an idiot. And someone else began to strike me as, a, as something else struck me as I looked at these stories. The stories I used to introduce my son to the ways of the world, not only were they full of bad male stereotypes, deadbeat dads, absent fathers, idiots, wimps and fools, but I have been totally colluding with them. And it didn't bother me at all until I started to think about it. It had seemed normal to me. I've looked at all the comedies we've seen for the last 30 years. We see a, a man in a house who isn't an immature fool, an idiot. And you think that's just by accident? Think back to that previous thing I read by Notstein, how they'd attack the family and the familiar or familial roles. It's all been done. There's nothing out there in entertainment that you can sit back and enjoy without being brainwashed in some particular PC area. Nothing. Because everything, as Jack Salal said, is propaganda run by an industry, a culture-creating industry. Look at the video games your children are playing. They said they'd have to need a warrior species for about 20 years for the coming riots, etc. So they gave us 20 years of video games, and these people, these not youngsters, grew up playing the bad guys, the guys in black who just go around slaughtering people. And here we have them in the streets now with machine guns and bossing people around. Desensitized to slaughter. Here's an article here from Business and Media Institute. UK politician, United Kingdom politician, urges video game manufacturers to include, and what they already have, 
in their games, global warming messages. The former chair of Parliament Climate Change Committee, who no one elected, recommends climate-themed uh, climate games to educate people about the impact of prolonged changes to our climate. See, everything is propaganda, and they must get to the, to the minds of the young, because that's where your impressions are made. Men are all stupid, etc., etc., in these innocent little stories. And it's by Jeff Poor, this story. In Britain, Lord, Lord Putnam, Putnam, I've, I've talked about Lord Putnam before, a radical environmentalist, but it's really depopulation and eugenics, that's his real, his real uh, vocation. The founding chairman of the National Endowment for Science, so this is no little tiddler speaking here, technology and the arts, and the arts, that's interesting, and a former chairman of the Joint Parliamentary Committee on the Draft Climate Change Bill, issued a statement ahead of his speech slated for the end of this month at the Terra Future Conference. See, all these, these foundations that none of us vote for, urging video games to be used to spread the message about climate change. Serious games based upon real-life geography should be vital tools in our fight against climate change, said Lord Putnam in a statement. Educating people about the impact... No, see, this is propaganda. Don't get confused when they use these words, educating people. They mean using propaganda to indoctrinate people, young people, about the impact of prolonged changes to, to our climate in an accessible way is the best catalyst for action I know. In other words, sneaking it in where, where they don't know they're being brainwashed in a game is okay by this guy. British politicians have been actively promoting various ways to curb the effects of so-called anthropogenic global warming. Anthropogenic, man-made. On February the 4th, Lord Turner, Lord Turner, Lord here, the British climate czar, <laughs> we've all got one, you see, told the UK Environmental Audit Committee that climate laws may be needed to restrict airplane flights and reduce carbon emissions. Well, he also said they want to eventually cancel out all tourism and all travel abroad, which is essential travel only, and it'll be for diplomats, governments, uh, executives of corporations. And so that's the world they're bringing in. All this stuff about terrorism and the borders, etc., is to keep the masses in for the brave new worlds. But in the meantime, we'll almost get our brainwashing. You know, for most people, it's always been over. You understand they were never here to be saved. Because every day of the week, they tune that into that TV box. It was given to them for this very purpose of utter brainwashing. They're addicted to it completely, and you cannot live in two worlds. You cannot live... It's like a, it's like a heroin addict to try and get off it and inject himself with heroin all the time. You can't do it. Because there's incredible intellect and coordination and propaganda that's put into everything that you watch, and even especially your entertainment. The last place you'll look and think, well, I'm being brainwashed. No, you are being brainwashed. That's why there are so many messages and movies and all your dramas, your soaps. Look at what's, what's in the children's cartoons. Again, people are paid by our governments to do put all this stuff in the cartoons to do with global warming and adults are bad, they destroyed the planet. How do you think about it? Now, <clears throat> another winner here <clears throat> is Maclean's magazine in Canada. It's been wrong in almost everything it's ever written, although really it's the propaganda arm of the CFR. And it goes on about Plan B for global warming. This is the same Maclean's magazine that had the Prime Minister of Canada uh, the U.S. President, 
all voting for the Prime Minister of Mexico during the free trade negotiations, I think it was, was his name, um, Salinas, as to be the head of the, the, the NAFTA. He was the best man for the job. A month after they printed that, the guy and his family ran off with the Treasury of Mexico. Do you remember that? It was a few years back. The guy that they said, this McLean's magazine said, and the Prime Minister in Mexico, and the President said, was a guy for the job. He would be the head, to put it ahead of this new NAFTA. He ran off with the whole, the whole treasury of Mexico, and the U.S. and Canada had to, had to bail them out by millions and millions of dollars that we borrowed from the World Trade, the, the IMF, and the World Bank. Remember that we forget all these things. But anyway, here they are. Plan B for global warming. McLean's magazine is a drawing of Don Quixote tacked to the wall of David Keith University of Calgary office. One of Gustave Doré's famous illustrations showing the aging knight flying backwards off his horse as his lance bends against the blade of a windmill. Then they go through all this pablum as they tell you that he's into climate change and all the rest of it. And it's a scientist figuring out ways to save the planet. But you scroll down, there's only one interesting thing in the whole uh, propagandic blurb. It says, when Keith first took an interest in such ideas lumped together under a broad rubric, geoengineering, we're just hearing about that now in the public, as a grad student 20 years ago, they could hardly be discussed in polite scientific company, even less so in environmental circles where many viewed any proposal to manage climate change as a threat to efforts to stop it. 20 years ago, right? It says it was a freak show, he recalls, verboten in mainstream forums. The topic, listen to this, the topic was only debated at secret NASA and White House organized confabs. That's the only important thing in the propaganda piece. Because you see, everything is done in secrecy. All the real stuff is done long before in secrecy. The planning of now was planned a long time ago in secrecy. And the whole global warming scenario, and who would even pick to front it, was decided a long time ago in secrecy. And here they are with NASA and these scientists 20 years ago discussing how they'd pull it off today in secrecy. Quite something. And all the stuff they talked about was taken from the Club of Rome who first came up with the idea of global warming to take control of the planet and get everybody to submit to a new world type authority. And these guys literally want to seed the planet across the world with these gases and sprays across the seas. And guess what? They've already been doing it for 12 years solid. Solid, that is. They were doing it before testing this stuff out, but solidly for the last 12 years. Yeah, done in secret. And you think NASA's all to do with space program? It's the military-industrial complex. <laughs> There's a great article here, too, about um, the cashless society, how they're training the children in different countries to use it. Home of the Impact Cashless Catering Payment System. CRB Solutions. Million users use in over 1,500 schools throughout the UK. It teaches the children to use the cashless system to take iris scans and to take thumbprints. I think they started with thumbprints and so on. And it's been pushed by all governments over in Europe now. It seems to be the, it's amazing how they pick one company, you see. There's always a favorite company that's chosen in advance to push and train the children. 
These children are already used to walking through sensor machines as they go through schools and armed guards and stuff like that, and using their thumbprints. They're being trained for the kind of world which is normal to them as they grow up. Straight Pavlovian training. And they'll never ask why. Because why? Because it's normal to them. And their parents will never think and say, you know, it shouldn't be like this. It didn't used to. So I'll put these links up, as I say, on my show, uh, at, the site, at the site at the end of the show. But what I'm trying to tell you is there's nothing out there, nothing out there, that is not thought out in great detail, minute detail, by think tanks and the so-called expert scientists and the culture creation industry all working together in collusion to prepare your mind for every part of the future that's coming. About a year ago, someone mentioned to me about all these scenario end of, end of the, the system movies that are coming out. There was about a dozen disaster movies. They all had in it the infertility of males. Everybody went sterile for some reason. One of them said it was a virus that was released. And everyone just went sterile. And it's always the same scenario where there's a world can of authoritarian government, very vague, Everybody's living in rubble and squalor, the masses. But there's always this high corporation, world corporation, living in luxury, but way apart from the people. And they have all these black-clad goons with all the armor plating and the big guns to keep everything working and going along. That's not coincidence. Neither are all these pandemic movies that get turned out one after another, telling you how to behave and respond and this is what's going to happen and so on. That's not coincidence. We understand that the whole entertainment system was always used for political purposes. Always. You know, there were operas written in the, in this, the late 1700s and the early 1800s. They were banned in some countries because it was all about Masonic revolution. Well documented, not conspiracy theory, as boasted about by countries like France and so on. I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, and I think we'll just get time to take a call. There's Ron from Texas. There, are you there, Ron? Uh, hello, Alan. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Uh, great. Hey, Alan. I have a question. Uh, I'm wondering. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for all the great work you do. I follow you uh, every night. I listen to you every night, and I've, I've read your uh, book, and uh, you're just uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, my question is. What is the real role of uh, North Korea in the world? Are they just a puppet for the United States or for the New World Order? It seems like everything, every time something's going on, uh, North Korea is launching missiles, North Korea is doing this, doing that, trying to scare everybody. And, and I've also read that I, I think his uh, feminine son and his masculine son are, um, are that they make huge uh, salaries from the CIA. They live in uh, in, in Europe and. I'm just curious, what's really going on in North Korea? Well, once again, they must try and validate the entire world ongoing war. It's like Orwell said, the war is not intended to be won. 
is intended to be ongoing. It's constant revolution worldwide, and wars really can be a front, really, for revolution and to, to, to justify uh, armaments, etc., and military might and all that kind of stuff. But you're right. It's, they could have taken that out long ago. There's no problem about that. But what you do have, curiously enough, are the five countries that haven't joined, that are not under the, uh, the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank. They don't have central banks. Afghanistan was one. Iraq was another. Iran is another. North Korea is another. There's only five of them altogether left. And that's, these are the countries that are all under the gun right now until they're standardized into the world system. That's really what's really going on. But I've no doubt at all that North Korea has been used uh, when necessary to, to, to do saber-rattling and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's the same with China. Once in a blue moon, when they have no enemies to point to, and they must justify the military might and the sort of authoritarian system that's coming in, they get China to rattle the sabers, etc. But China was built up by the West, if the big banks in the West decide to flatten China, they'll do the same thing there if they wish to. Everyone at the top in China is bought and paid for. And it's the same thing with North Korea. Right. Well, uh, just to go on to a sort of a, a different subject, I also read today in uh, Peru, uh, where, um, where I've actually uh, visited a, a number of times, uh, they actually have gone after, uh, it sounds almost identical to what goes on in, in, our, in my country, United States, right now, after the indigenous people and uh, just actually attacked them and killed uh, hundreds of them uh, for uh, demonstrating. And is this going on now? Is this every country now? We're just going to see this going on, uh, not just in the United States, but in every country now we have this, yeah. this uh, uh, whatever. Uh, it's complete authoritarianism. You, authoritarianism. You, cannot, you can't criticize government now. You're called anti-government. And... Uh, uh, just with a criti- any policy at all, they'll call you anti-government and radical, etc. But in those other countries where they can get away with it, they're simply eliminating any problems. Um, to them at the top, honestly, they, they see it as very pragmatic, utilitarian, just get rid of them. And they, they do it. And this is the world they are bringing in. But they're also cleansing an awful lot of Latin America because um, they chose during the free trade negotiations that many of those countries would be run on bare minimum population, so drastic population reduction, but they also have been setting up some countries already since the, the 80s under the free trade, that's the precursor of NAFTA, to be uh, a breadbasket. Uh, Chile is one of the big ones with Monsanto, Archer Daniels Midlands, and all the other big boys uh, to produce the veggies. They're going to grow nothing eventually in the U.S., what about Chavez in Venezuela? Do you, do you think that he's still uh, is he still part of the, of the same scheme? I'm sure he's in on it. There's no doubt. Yeah, just like Fidel was. Yeah. But that's the end of the, the show coming. Yeah, I hear the music. So from Hamish and myself, Hamish is my fantastic dog. In Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.